So in tonight's episode we'll be discussing the second statute of Westminster from 1285. Now what will follow is just some kind of number station music to kind of intro us in. Uh, just giving you a heads up there. Hello again, this is just policy for the masses. Once again, some Cold War chic. There is no reason I'm using that information or kind of data or music. There's no reason I'm using that music. Something slightly different to the podcast, kind of intro music, and it is free. Although I would like to thank uh, Conet for making these all available. Today we're going to talk about a piece of legislation uh, still in force. And this, of course, as I said, the Statute of Westminster the Second from 1285. The Statute of Westminster is a set of laws passed by the Parliament of England during the reign of Edward I. The laws comprise 50 chapters, of which one is still enforced in the UK. And it seems to be that two are enforced in the Republic of Ireland, as we currently speak. We're going to very briefly discuss those. I won't be labouring into too much detail of the actual law, just it's very similar to last week's. What are things like at this point in England? Edward I, he's just crushed the rebellion in Wales, led by, and this is the point I absolutely butcher some Welsh language, Daffid Ap Griffid, and his rebellion was from March 1282 to December 1282. David is generally seen as the last independent ruler of Wales. In April 1283, Edward I just takes the last independent Welsh stronghold, Castle E. Bear, and then in October 1283, Prince David Ap Griffith is executed at Shrewsbury, and he's the first prominent person in England to be hung, drawn, and quartered, which at this point was a newly created punishment for high treason, although they wouldn't really call it high treason at this point. So just because this statute is very similar to last week's, it's it's a list of laws, I'm just going to kind of sidetrack a little bit and talk about a few other things while maintaining a level of kind of legislative kind of legal history. So because David was hanged or quartered, so this is a little bit blue, to be honest, don't really think there's many children watching this, but I won't be too graphic. To be hung, drawn and quartered was from 1352, statutory penalty in England for men convicted of high treason. So there's some suggestions the ritual was first recorded during the reign of King Henry III, where, as in the father of 
Edward III, where a convicted traitor was fastened to a, like a wooden panel and drawn to the place of execution where he was then hanged almost to the point of death, emasculated, disemboweled, beheaded and then chopped into pieces. The idea was you then display these pieces kind of throughout the country. Blackadder the third, no, Blackadder the second has quite a good sketch about this where you know, different pieces are being sent to different places. So you have David Ipgriff became the first nobleman in England to be hung, drawn and quartered after he turned against the king and proclaimed himself Prince of Wales and Lord of Snowdon. David's rebellion, you know, and was it was such an embarrassment really. Edward I wanted to make an example out of him. Therefore, for his betrayal, he was drawn by horse to place of his execution. For killing English nobles, he was hanged alive. For killing those nobles at Easter, he was eviscerated and his entrails burnt. For conspiracy to kill the king in various parts of the realm, his body was quartered and parts sent around the country. And his head was placed on top of the Tower of London. So it's almost as if Edward I is kind of having to justify his brutality here. He's kind of saying, you know, you're, you're murdering people on a holy day. You're conspiring against me. And then obviously William Wallace would would have a similar punishment in 1305. Uh, although he was forced to wear a crown of laurel leaves, which seems a little bit brutal as well. And his, his different pieces were sent to London Bridge, Newcastle, Berwick, Stirling and Perth. Well, Newcastle, Berwick, Stirling and Perth kind of lowland or, or border Scottish regions as kind of a instilling fear in potential rebels. So what's interesting is Edward actually had Parliament meet at Shrewsbury to discuss David's fate. So this wasn't just necessarily the king decreeing this, this was Parliament actually having an input into the crime. Interestingly enough, the executioner was Geoffrey of Shrewsbury, he was paid 20 shillings for carrying out this act on the 3rd of October 1283. There's a, a whole lot of interest in history around kind of the medieval um, executioners, although arguably at this point it's unlikely that would have been a professional, but I, I, I don't know whether he had another job. So yeah, as stated, uh, the Treason Act wouldn't be law until 1351. Although we call this treason, it's unlikely they would have at the time. So this is all kind of given a bit of background to where we are. We've had a rebellion in Wales. And the invasion of Scotland is yet to come in 1296. Where can you find the Statue uh, of Westminster the Second, 1285? This can be found on Nijgov. Chapter 1 is still in force in England and Wales. And in the Republic of Ireland, or ERA, or Ireland, chapter 1 and 15 are still in force. Chapter 1, and this is where I start absolutely butchering Latin, chapter 1 is De Donis Conditionablis, and chapter 15, Suit of Infant by Next Friend Act. An infant aligned may sue by Prussian Amy. So, let's see if I can do this in one take. No, I could not get this in one take.
Whereas of late our Lord the King, in the quism of St John the Baptist, the sixth year is reign, calling together the prelates, earls, barons, and his council at Gloucestershire, and considering that divers of his realm were disinherited by reasons that in many cases where remedy should have been had there was none provided by him nor his predecessors, ordained certain statute rights necessary and profitable for his realm, whereby the people of England and Ireland, being subject unto his power, have obtained more speedy justice in their oppressions that they had before, and certain cases where the law faileth or failed, did remain undetermined, and some remained to be enacted that there were for the reformation of the oppressions of the people. Our Lord the King and his Parliament, after the Feast of Easter, holding the thirteenth year of his reign at Westminster, caused many oppressions and defaults of the law. For the accomplishment of the said statutes of Gloucester to be rehearsed, and thereupon did provide certain acts, as shall appear here following. And chapter 1 as said, Several sorts of gifts of lands upon condition, in such gifts the donors will shall be observed. First, concerning lands that many times are given upon condition, that is to wit, were any given his land to any man his wife, and to the heirs begotten of the bodies of the same man his wife, with such conditions expressed that if the same man and his wife die without heirs of their bodies between them begotten, the land so given shall revert to the giver or his heir. In case also where one giveth lands in free marriage, which gift hath a condition annexed, though it be not expressed in the deed of gift, which is this, that if the husband and wife die without heir of their bodies begotten, the land so given shall revert to the giver or his heir. In the case also, where one giveth land to another, and the heirs of his body issuing, it seems very hard, yet seemeth to the givers and their heirs, that their will being expressed in the gift was not heretofore, nor yet observed. In all the cases aforesaid, after issue begotten and born between them, to whom the lands were given under such condition, heretofore such fee o fees had power to alien the lands so given and to disinherit their issue of the land, contrary to the minds of the givers and contrary the form expressed in the gift. And further, when the issue of such fee fee is failing, the land so given ought to return to the giver or his heir by form of the gift expressed in the deed through the issue, if any were had died, yet by the deed and fee of them, to whom land was so given upon condition, the donors have heretofore been barred of their revision, which is directly repugnant to the form of gift. 
Wherefore, our Lord the King, perceiving how necessary and expedient it should be to provide remedy in the aforesaid cases, hath ordained that the will of the giver, according to the form in the deed of gift manifestly expressed, shall be henceforth observed, so that they to whom the land was given under such condition shall have no power to alien the land so given, but that it shall remain unto the issue of them to whom it was given after their death, or shall revert unto the giver or his heirs if issues fail. There is no issue at all, or if any issues be. Neither shall the second husband of any such woman from henceforth have anything in the land so given upon condition at the death of his wife by the law of England, nor the issue of the second husband and wife shall succeed in the inheritance, but immediately after the death of the husband and wife to whom the land was given, it shall come to the issue or return unto the giver or his heir, as before is said. And it is to wit that the statue shall hold place touching alienation of land contrary to the form of gift, and shall not extend to gifts made before, and if a fine is levied upon such lands, it shall be void in the law, neither shall the heirs, or such as the revision belongeth unto, though they be of full age within England and out of prison, need to make their claim. A brief summary of this is 1285 statute de donis contenablis enacted that in grants to a man's heirs, the will of the donor as expressed in the grant shall be followed. So the donee shall have no power to dispose of land in another way. After the donee's death, the land would be inherited by his heirs, or if he had no heirs, then by the donor or the donor's heirs. So I know that's not really a great summary. Here is the summary of the summary. So this was an attempt to ensure that high families, as in kind of landed gentry, firstly, they were going to be represented by a single patriarch, part of kind of the English inheritance. So this was to ensure the concentration of the family's wealth into the hands of a single representative. This was a feature of the kind of English gentry and aristocrats, unlike pre-revolutionary France, where all sons of noblemen inherited his title, and thus were kind of members of a noble caste. But in England, his estate would only be inherited by the firstborn son, and that subsequent sons were born as mere gentlemen and commoners. So this meant that lands weren't being split like they would later be, you know, historically in Ireland, for example, before the potato famine. And it also meant that kind of wealth was being concentrated into the eldest son. This is just primogenitor. This is the kind of custom where the, the first born legitimate child inherits the estate. This effectively means that The land can't be sold or parceled out by your father and any debts on the land will be kind of repudiated or will be kind of... So it, it, it's a very interesting law because it stops the aristocracy from splintering. It, it keeps kind of 
wealth in the hands of the few. And as well as that, it kind of makes, shall we say, them of a certain quality, but it also removes the chance of splintering lines of secession things and consistent things like that. Interestingly, this this wasn't popular with the merchant class. And anyone who wanted to sell parts of their estate because they could divide their land. And for the merchant class that wanted to buy land. Hilariously, at this point, there's a lot of criticism around it. It's claimed that the operation of statute produced innumerable evils. Now, this is going to be really interesting with kind of the, the kind of the <laughs> with the kind of consistent criticism around kind of the younger generation, millennials, bait zoomers. So children, it is said, grew disobedient when they knew they could not be set aside. Farmers were deprived of their leases. Creditors were defaulted of their debts. Innumerable latent entails were produced to deprive purchases of their land they had fairly bought. Treasons were also encouraged. As the state's tails were not liable for forfeiture longer than of the tenant's life. So people are effectively saying the kids today who are going to inherit can do what they want because they know it's very difficult for their father to disinherit them. On the other hand, by limit inheritance to the older son, there's an argument that this effectively prevented the growth of a landed class like it would develop in France. And then these younger sons, well, you could argue they become a middle class, but kind of they, they had to work for their money. So yeah, there, there's a lot of other kind of things of interest in the statute. The thing that's interesting in Ireland is the, the suit of infant by the next friend act. So the, the wording of this is an infant eloined may sue a may sue by pushing Amy. This is the idea that an infant without legal guardianship may sue by using some sort of representative of the time. So it was kind of giving people who didn't have kind of guardians or wards the ability to take some of the court, which is important, I suppose. And this is, from everything I can tell, this is still in force in the Republic of Ireland. So if we look at this Statue of Westminster on the policy cycle, so you're Edward I, you've just effectively, you're in the process of kind of destroying Wales or absorbing Wales what are you looking to do? Well, obviously, you, you want to keep a strong nobility. They, they're helping you win the wars. And they're sending you resources. So how do you, how do you go about that? You, you go about that by making sure that merchants and other people can't get their hands on the land. So you do this by passing the Statute of Westminster, specifically the D. Donus Contenables. And how does this kind of impact stops the land from being split up? Ensures you can you have less people to go to, you have strong landholders, you have a strong nobility that can furnish you with kind of resources. And you implement that by passing the Statute of Westminster, and then we'll we'll see going forward if this if this kind of does work. 
or if it's changed anyway. Actotography still in force, who knows? It's a large piece of legislation that kind of covers a significant degree of laws, but the overarching kind of element of it seems to be the idea of maintaining large Norman landowners and stopping estates being kind of divided and split. A bit more detail this week uh, around kind of inheritance and things. So uh, as always, uh, leave me some feedback on Twitter. You can find me there. My intention is to kind of keep going, probably, I'm not sure how many episodes I'm going to do in the season, but kind of work my way through the kind of legacy laws in the United Kingdom and then potentially start looking forward to field. If anyone has anything that they want me to look at, let me know. Happy to interpret. Some of the other ones I'm thinking about are the Truck Act, where effectively it kind of reinforces the idea that you have to be paying cash, which is something really interesting because the idea that you be paid in food or clothes in the early 19th century is something we appear to have forgotten. Also, Magna Carta is coming up. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to deal with that. I might be looking at the royal decree about the Jews as well, just because that might be of interest around this time. Now, it's not a piece of legislation, it's a decree, but it's something I could certainly look at. So yeah, just hit me up on Twitter. It's Policy for the Masses. Let me know what you think, if there's anything you'd like me to change, if there's anything you'd like me to look at. And thank you for listening, and I leave you with the same number station before.
seven four nine two zero two eight nine two zero two eight seven eight four nine four seven eight four nine four two four one four six two four one four six six eight five four two six eight five four two one seven five zero seven one seven five zero seven three nine three nine eight three nine three nine eight three two three four eight three two three four eight five nine three seven eight five nine three seven eight seven zero six three six seven zero six three 